Welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on current forward with the Vegas Golden Knights, Alex Tuck. Al grew up right around here in the Syracuse, New York area and went on to play hockey at the National Team Development Program for two years. After that, he was drafted in the first round of the NHL, 18th overall by the Minnesota Wild before not going to Cornell, but going to Boston College for two years where he was a star at BC. Uh, After that, he signed with the Minnesota Wild where he played one year up and down the NHL, AHL before heading over to Vegas in the whole expansion draft stuff that happened there in Vegas he went on to the Stanley Cup finals in their magnificent run and uh, now he is currently a forward with them scored 20 goals last year awesome awesome player awesome awesome guy so happy to get him on the podcast but before we do get over to Al Tuck let's bring on the talent of the podcast Jeff Lavecchio Vex what's shaking today so 20 goals is pretty sweet in the NHL it's not bad but I I'm pretty sure I scored 20 goals in Pee Wee's, so I'm just gonna hang my hat on that one. Good for you. This man. guy was this guy was a beauty, by the way. Like he was awesome. You know, I, I loved hearing the stories, kind of from the uh, what's that Christmas movie where it's like the the, the the not the Santa Claus, it's like the claymation one, and it's like the Island of Misfit Toys. Like that's how I always think of uh, the Island of Misfit Toys, one of the claymation movies. Like I think of that as that first year of Vegas. It was like all the guys that that they weren't protected, and then they go there and they just rip the the roof off the sh- the show. They kill every team. They wind up in the finals. Like that was so cool to see. So it was really cool to have a guy from that team on the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Well, he talks a lot about that in the podcast. How you know they were all kind of cast aside, like almost like they weren't wanted, and they had a chip on their shoulder. To, to try and prove themselves again and uh, you know for him and, and for some of the guys it was a whole salary cap you can only keep a certain amount of players type of thing but still I mean when you're traded I mean have you been traded in, in yeah, your time I got, yeah I mean I, I was traded, traded from, too I got traded from Boston to Florida yeah I was traded call. I was traded from the uh, the Texas Brahmas to the Rio Grande Valley Killer Bees so <laughs> uh, a little different a little different being traded essentially kind of knew my career was over then um, but it sucks man like you like just the feel Feeling that you're kind of like not wanted and uh it is cool because there's another team that does want you but at the same time it's uh it's tough to go through that but yeah no the conversation with him when it came to you know those guys kind of rallying around that was was really really cool yeah i mean you and i always talk about perspective like all the time almost every episode if not every episode we touch on perspective and how important it is and whether you're traded whether you're cut like whatever it is all right i'll give you a day to be sad about it and then after that use it as motivation like like you said he had a chip on his shoulder like you need to use things that happen to you make them happen for you you know i don't believe in fate or anything like that but like use that as motivation like right on the wall you know by the door when you leave the house like i'll prove the minnesota wild wrong like i'll prove everyone wrong they didn't want me i'll prove why they should have wanted me and i'll go make this new team my home it's really cool to hear that stuff even at the nhl level 
Oh, totally. And, uh, I mean, you look at what that team did that year and going to the cup finals. I mean, uh, that's, that's never going to be repeated in any sport. I mean, the fact that they, for one year, were able to build that culture like that and, and bring in talented enough players. It'll be interesting to see, like, Ron France has got a tough job in Seattle coming up as the GM up there because <laughs> there's, like, there's, you can't go up from what Vegas did except for winning the freaking Stanley Cup. So that's, that's a tough job that he's got. Yeah, that's pretty funny, actually. People are probably going to be like, oh, well, Vegas did it. You can do it. You know, they're probably like joking around with him left and right. And he's probably just like quaking in his boots, just like, oh, my God, like I got to try and replicate what they did two years ago, like three years ago, whatever it's going to be like. That's crazy. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck. We also had Paul Stasny from Vegas uh, on the podcast, you know, a few months ago too. So any, any newer listeners that haven't heard that one, um, I actually had some of the guys on my team literally today in my new gym talking to me, like they go, they quizzed me. It was one of my favorite kids I trained. And he's like, he said a line from Staz's podcast and he's like, what's that from? And I was like, I don't know. He's like your podcast. And I was like, Oh really? He's like, he's like, who is it with? And I was like, dude, I've done so many. I don't know. He's like Stasny, you're an idiot. <laughs> Well, speaking of movie lines, this this uh, episode with Tucky is actually episode seventy six. So you know what rule seventy rule seventy six is? Play like a champion. No excuses. Play like a champion. <laughs> <laughs> speaking That's of your awesome. new gym, how's your new gym going, man? Why don't you tell the listeners what you got going on? Uh, thanks. Yeah, it's really really exciting. We just opened it up about a week ago. Um, it's in the Maryville. University Ice Hockey Center, where the Chesterfield Falcons play uh, in Chesterfield, my hometown. Um, really excited. We partnered with them. So throughout the year, we're going to train their teams um, that sign up with us. And in the summer, it'll be kind of my gym for all my my personal clients with ripped hockey. Uh, really excited that uh, the Gel Stick boys came through, bought me a couple bikes so I can put their signage on the wall for Gel Sticks. Uh, shout out to those guys. We love them here on this podcast. Uh, so that was really exciting as well. Well, would you care to expand upon the Gel Sticks news? Drum roll, please. Uh, yeah, we just did a deal with Gel Sticks, and they are now the official training aid of the Hockey Think Tank podcast. Come on down, Gel Sticks. <laughs> No, uh, man, we're so excited to, to be partnered with them again. And, uh, you know, they were the title sponsor for our hockey conference in uh, in Chicago. And, uh, you know, now they're coming on as the official uh, training aid of the Hockey Think Tank podcast. And it's taken us, what, 76 episodes to actually pull the trigger on getting sponsorships. And that's because, you know, for a while there, we were kind of like, we don't really want to do it. It's not kind of what our message is, not really what it's about, but we really want to, we want to promote people and products that we really believe in. And Jeff, I know you do a lot of work with them and, and I've talked with, uh, you know, Lounsey and, and Jason and a bunch of those guys, and we really align values wise with them. And we're trying to change the culture of the youth hockey world. And we're trying to make the hockey world a little bit better. And, and that's what gel sticks is trying to do too. So they have awesome sticks for training aids. I know a lot of people that have used them and, and loved them, uh, whether they're shooting in their basements, whether they're shooting in practice out on the ice or in their garage and stuff like that. Um, so we're really really excited to be partnering up with them for, um, you know, this official title as, as the 
official training aid for the Hockey Think Tank podcast. And uh, if you want to get a gel sticks stick to train with, and again, Jeff and I believe in it, uh, Brandon Rado, his company, TPH, they, they've become a partner. Um, a lot of other people, a lot of teams, like the National Team Development Program, which Alex Tuck was on, they use them, college teams use them. So it's, it really is a good product. And uh, if you go to gelsticks.com, it's G E L stx.com and you enter the coupon code think tank one word think tank uh you'll be able to get a discount on uh on some training aid sticks and i really encourage you to do it when you were just spelling out gelsticks.com all i could think about was that spelling part in billy madison where she's like (laughs) risotto and he's like r i he doesn't know how to put a cursive z so he just is like z z and he starts scribbling (laughs) rock R O K. Yeah. R O C K. C is silent. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I totally agree. I, I, I hooked up with the Gel 6 guys the last year of my playing career um, via LinkedIn, actually, which is hilarious because I don't even know how to use like email barely. I mean, I'm, I'm technologically uh, inept. However, um, it's been a great partnership. I've been working with those guys for a couple of years. And like you said, like totally good people. I mean, they're doing some cool things behind the scenes, helping some kids in hockey that can't afford to play high levels of hockey. And they'll step in without even telling anyone and, and pay some of their dues. So these guys are really, really good guys. And uh, I'm glad that you said, I just want to reiterate, like we did not – do anything with sponsors or anything on this podcast until now, because we wanted to keep it as pure as we possibly could. And to this day, even moving forward, we're not going to allow anyone to, to just throw money at us if it's not a product that we believe in. So, um, I use gel sticks. My guys that I train with in the summer use gel sticks. Uh, my, the kids I coach use gel sticks. So it, it really is something that makes sense for us. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So now that we got that kind of out of the way and we're now excited we about that. Schools. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Now that we sold our souls, yeah, 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 totally. But seriously, if there's anybody out there that uh, that has products or services that they want to promote, um, and you know, obviously, have been listening to the podcast, and you feel like you align with our values, like we're not going to just take money for for anything. We're not going to take uh, products and service and promote people that we don't believe in or, or don't align with what we're doing. So uh, if you feel like you have a product or service that uh, aligns with what we're doing, uh, shoot me an email, tofer at the hockey think tank.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram or Jeff. And um, we'll, we'll do our best to, to promote some of the products and services that you have too. So we can help the hockey world a little bit more. I like that. I like, like that. that. Yeah. Maybe like, Maybe like once a month we pick one to put on your website or something like for like a week or something. That's like a really good product from like a young innovator or something. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> I got plenty of stuff, plenty of content going around. So yeah, baby. Um, we can certainly do that. But uh, back to Tucky, man. I mean, this was such an awesome conversation. And a couple of other things before we do get over to it that I thought was really interesting. It was so cool to hear him talk about playing on a line with Jack Eichel uh, when he was playing at the national team. And I remember when I was coaching at Cornell, I would go and recruit them because uh, we ended up taking two kids that were on that team. And towards the end of the year, the top three centers for that team, are you ready for this? Jack Eichel, Dylan Larkin, Austin Matthews. 
Is that and wasn't Austin Matthews the third line center too? Yeah, well, he was a '97 playing up with the '96s towards the end of the year, ah. um, so he actually wasn't even that age group. But like his first year, he I think he broke his leg and uh, he missed like the first half of the year or something and came back and just was ridiculous. Yeah, but like he, yeah, Hardy was talking about that at our conference because he was part of choosing that team or he was around that team anyway at the time. And uh, like Kachuk was like a fourth fourth line left wing. Charlie McAvoy was like the eighth D. Um, Austin Matthews was supposed to be the third line center. Just kind of goes to show you, man, like a lot can happen between 15 and 18. <laughs> so it's Ryan Hardy's fault that all those guys were on the third and fourth line. Very interesting, <laughs> Hardy. Very, I don't think, very interesting. I don't think he was a part of choosing that team. I think he got there right after that, but I'm going to chirp did a, him. They did an I'm unreal chirp job, man. Hardo because he sent a picture of me wearing tight pants to you at a tournament that I saw him at two weeks ago <laughs> trying to chirp me. So I'm going to say that was Hardo's fault. Uh, I'm just it, kidding. I love him. He's a great dude. No, no, it wasn't their fault. They put him on the team, man. That's uh, that's good stuff. <laughs> but no, By that Uncle Tim and Hardy have a bromance. You remember that after our conference in Chicago? Oh, totally. Yeah. They had a total bromance. I'm still chirping them about that. <laughs> For sure, man. Uh, but another thing that was really interesting, what Tucky talked about, is he went down to Daryl Belfry's 88 Summit, where they bring down like all the top players in the freaking world, like Kane and Matthews, and they had so many good guys. And he had some unreal stories about that clinic. And you know, we've talked to Daryl before. We can't get him on the podcast or the big cat anymore, Adam Nick. Nicholas, who was down there as well, because they both worked for the Maple Leafs. But um, hearing Al's perspective on some of the things and hearing him tell a few stories about a few of the guys that were down there, I mean, it is the whole podcast is worth it just for that. <laughs> totally. God, you said Big Cat, too. That makes me miss him, too. But yeah, I, I remember him telling those stories. And I was, it, it's so cool to just hear a guy who is as good as Tuck talking about these guys who like he looks up to they're his peers are in the same league he plays against them and he's just like talking about like oh my god i was just watching what they do and taking in what they do and learning from them and it's like man like everyone in the world is learning from you and then you're learning from them so pretty cool to hear that like the learning doesn't stop even when you're in the nhl like it's it's probably even more so like you got to go even harder to stay in that league and continue to be a player and continue to be an impact and, and make money and do all those things for sure. But I thought the best part about the conversation when it came to that 88 summit was how hard Belfry made it for the best players in the world and how much he put those guys and girls, because there were girls down there too. He had uh, some of the best women's players in the world. Um, how hard he made it for them, how how much he got them outside their comfort zone. And uh, yeah, again, I won't say it now, listen to the podcast, but Tucky tells an unreal story about Austin Matthews when it comes to that. And um, just, I mean, it's just such an informative, cool, awesome podcast that we did one of my favorites that we've done for sure i know we say that a lot but uh we just bring on really cool guests i guess <laughs> we're very lucky i won't lie we are very lucky very very lucky very lucky and with that we are very lucky and in debt to everybody that listens to these podcast episodes and and provides us with with feedback whether it's reviews or ratings and stuff like that on itunes uh, and Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get, you're getting your podcast today. Uh, we, like, we are just absolutely enjoying and loving what we're doing. Like, this is one of the best parts of my week is getting the chance to speak with you and some of these really esteemed people 
in the hockey world. And I, I feel like I get so much better as a coach, human being, all that kind of stuff. Um, having listened to this podcast when I go in and edit them and stuff, <laughs> I find myself taking notes even more and uh, just really, really cool. So thank you so much to everybody that tunes in and, and again, that leaves us feedback and stuff. We are in debt to you. We have so much gratitude to you and uh, we can't thank you enough. Totally, man. I threw up, uh, I know you, you re, I don't know what you call that. Re, it's not retweeted because it's Instagram. You regrammed, uh, you know, the, the story I put up a few days ago of some of the, um, more recent reviews that people left on iTunes. And it's just really cool. And like Toe said, super, super grateful. You're getting me all emotional here. Think talking like this, but, uh, yeah, man, totally. Well, I, I think, echo what you're saying. I think one of the really cool things, first of all, like when you guys do that, when you shoot us ratings and reviews, like, I don't know what it is, but it, it gets us out there even more. I think, uh, there's some, maybe some kind of algorithm or something where, you know, the name pops up when you have more ratings and reviews and stuff. So you're helping us by doing that to, to get the word out to other people. But the other thing, like I, I saw the other day, cause I don't look at it very much, but I think we had like 184 or 185, uh, reviews on, uh, or sorry, ratings on iTunes. And I think like 179 of them were five stars. And so that was like really, really cool. And we really appreciate everybody that has done that, but we're so fortunate and so happy to bring on, I don't think it's us, man. I think it's the guests that we bring up that we're able to bring oh, totally. on, yeah, you know, I and suck. the, the you. amount of, <laughs> the amount of information and stories that they're able to tell, uh, are, are just so informative and so inspiring and so uplifting. And, uh, yeah, we just so much gratitude, just so thankful for having done this. And we're, we got to be getting up on like a one year anniversary here coming up pretty soon it might even be this episode i'll have to look at it but it's probably because i think we started doing this in november dude it's really close so it's i getting still close. remember yeah i remember recording the first episode in my house alone standing up at the island in my kitchen just doing <laughs> it and i was like what are we doing like we i was so nervous like we were just like talking we're like you want to do this you know i was like yeah i'll join you yeah like yeah. so random that it's 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 been a year but man it's so cool too Toph, because i just went to nebraska omaha university of nebraska omaha we played um i, I played uh, it, our team played in a tournament for the omaha lancers and at UNO's rink and so we got a tour of the locker room and I go in there and I see the assistant coach from Nebraska who I've never met and he's like man I just want to say I love the podcast listen every episode and I was like dude like I look up to you as an assistant coach of a D1 team a really good D1 team and he's telling me that he likes listening to the podcast and then I go to the Lancer game where I drop the puck not a big deal in the USHL um and I go and talk to the Tri-City coaches after because we had Anthony Noreen on who you're not kidding. He is a good looking dude. Noreen, what's up, man? Uh, <laughs> we should go out sometime, uh, go fishing. But anyways, uh, he, he great dude. And, and him and his assistant coaches are in there and they're like, yeah, you know, like I, we really appreciate what you're doing with the podcast, like trying to help parents and players that are trying to come up through this crazy world. Like it, it really is cool. And I was like, man, like that right there gives me so much, you know, there's days where you and I work 12 hour days, whatever. We're both on the gr- entrepreneurial grind. Sometimes it's hard to get a podcast in, but I'm the, when I hear that from people, I'm like, yes, I got to keep doing this. Like, I love it. And we're helping people that we didn't get this help when we were kids. So thank you to everyone who stops us or, or shoots us reviews. It really, truly, truly, truly does mean a lot to us. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. Well, I think we've talked here enough, and I actually have a really big announcement, but maybe we'll leave that to next week. 
little little cliffhanger out there. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're adding cliffhangers. Yeah, to this we're adding cliffhangers. Now. So we have some major, major, major stuff going on at the hockey think tank. And uh, if you're gonna if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you're gonna find this out before the next podcast episode um, because I'll be blasting it out on there. But we have some really really cool things coming up. So check your Twitter and Instagram for this really cool sweet announcement. We're blowing this thing up, man. And uh, Let's get over to Tucky. We ready for that now? Yeah, I think we're ready. He's yeah. an absolute beauty. He needs no more no more pumping of his tires. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, man. Without further ado, current forward with the Vegas Golden Knights, Alex Tuck. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast all the way from Las Vegas, current forward with the Vegas Golden Knights, Alex Tuck. Al, how are we doing today, man? Good. How's it going, guys? Going well, going well. Can't imagine it's going as good as you out in uh, in the Sin City over there. But uh, appreciate you taking some time uh, before your crazy season starts here to to sit and talk with us. And uh, typically, what we do, Al, to to start our podcast here is uh, we kind of take it way back and and talk to our guests about how they fell in love with the game. So uh, you grew up in Syracuse, New York, which is really close to where I'm at right now. So if you can, just uh, talk to us a little bit about how you got into the game and maybe a few people that uh, kind of helped you fall in love with it yeah so i was uh i think two years old uh visiting my grandpa um down in florida and um for exercise he would always rollerblade and one day uh, i was down there and he was rollerblading and i go to my mom i pointed and i said i want those and so every day that summer my dad and i would rollerblade unless it was raining uh we would rollerblade in in the street and in my driveway every single day uh, that winter, I was uh, I was three years old, and my dad decided to build a hockey rink in my backyard. Uh, my dad really didn't have any hockey background at all. He played. He started probably five years prior to when I started uh, at uh, men's league with a bunch of work buddies, um, and that's how he kind of fell in love with the game. It's just playing with a bunch of friends, and so he kind of passed that along to me. Um, he thought it was a, a great way to teach me uh, teamwork and uh, dedication and diligence and a bunch of other just life lessons. And um, from the moment I started skating on my back at ice rink, I, I just, I loved it. And um, they had a hard time taking me off the ice some, sometimes, but um, it was just an unbelievable feeling and uh, kind of sad that I don't have that back at ice rink in Vegas. <laughs> That's that's great. All I could see is Gordon Bombay in Mighty Ducks too, like skating around in his rollerblades when you're talking about your grandpa. That's what was a picture in my head. But <laughs> um, I, you say you say something that like everyone says that comes on the podcast. You know, the first time I got on the ice, I just loved it and I didn't want to stop playing. We never asked anyone this, but like, why? What is it about hockey that like? Most kids, when they try it, they're immediately hooked, and then all they want to do is play hockey. What do you think it is about the sport that that happens? Um, well, first of all, I guess it kind of came a little naturally. I mean, I, I started rollerblading that summer. When I first got on the ice, I actually, my dad put a pusher in front of me, and I pushed it away and just started skating. It felt <laughs> so natural. Um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of laugh at that, too, when he tells me, when he told me that story a few years ago. But, um no, I, I honestly, like, I, I love, love sports. Um, it really was a way for my dad and I to connect. It was really, we were really close. 
he pushed me a lot, but we, like the two of us together had so much fun. And, um, I, I just, I, I, it's, it's hard to explain. It's just that feeling you get when you're on the ice. Um, I, I don't even know. You can't even put in the words almost, but, uh, I, I love being out there. Um, I was very fortunate to have that backyard ice rink. Um, I love being on a team and man, whatever other sport I hated to run. I love <laughs> to skate and I hated to run. I played lacrosse growing up. I was a midfielder. I was actually pretty good. But I hated to run. I would still do it just because I wanted to try to be the best I could be out there, but I just hated to run. I loved skating. Uh, probably helped that it came a little naturally to me, but it was just something that I loved to do. It, it didn't, it, it wasn't a huge tax on me. Uh, like running was, I guess you can say. That's Makes true. sense. Total <laughs> sense. I mean, I, I was the exact same way. Like when I played soccer, I was like, all right, I'm playing goalie. Cause I'm not doing all this running. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> Exactly. That's, exactly. That's true. And now he's a uh, a certified personal trainer, so all he makes his guys do is run. So <laughs> weird. Hey, he still doesn't have to do it himself. Yeah, exactly. Hey, not anymore. No cardio for this guy ever again. Oh, uh, that's funny. Well, hey, I wanted to ask you because I'm obviously up in in the upstate central New York region right now, and. Uh, out here, it's a little bit different than, at least it was when you were growing up, than most of the other parts of the country. And there wasn't really an established midget hockey system around here. And so players of your caliber and guys that kind of wanted to go on and play at the higher levels, you had to play junior hockey pretty young, which a lot of people are, are steering kids away from nowadays because there is that midget aspect of it. But, you know, you went to the national team development program when you were 16, um, but you were already kind of playing, or 17, and but you were already kind of playing against guys that were a lot older than you in the years prior to that. Um, so if you can, just talk to us a little bit about that experience and uh, what was it like? Do you think playing junior hockey and playing against older guys kind of helped you um, be ready for that next level when you did get to the NTDP? So um, I'm a six foot four, 225 pound power forward, and I have never been small by any means during my life so I think that was probably a, a small part of it but I played against kids that were older than me um, from the time I was three years old like uh, when I started playing uh, when I was three years old my dad actually tried lying about my age to get me in the mini mites program and play with five-year-olds <laughs> and some of the coaches are like Carl we know he's not three my dad's just like hey put him on the ice for one practice if you don't think he can do it it's fine no big deal and I was skating better than almost every player out there. So they said, you know what? <laughs> He's okay. <laughs> but, um, wow. I played it. I played, uh, when I first went and moved to travel, uh, hockey, uh, I was coached by Steve Sabelli for two years. And now I play with kids that were two years older than me. And then I moved down to the, uh, 95 birth year, which was still with kids a year older than me for I think eight or nine years. And then I played one year with my age group. And then I went to the, the, the Syracuse, uh, stars junior B team in the empire league. And, um, that was a big step. I think in my career, I was coached by Scott Montagna. Um, he had coached me a few years prior to, and I skated a lot with him and the 92 team actually just uh, extra practices. Um, and so uh, I, I think that playing against older guys did prepare me for the next level. Um, I'm lucky enough to, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't the smallest guy out there. So it wasn't like I was getting bullied on the ice. So, I'd say that, that junior hockey at a, uh, when you're pl at a younger age isn't for everybody. 
sometimes kids need a couple extra years of growth and development and maturity. Um, but I was, I guess on my way to already growing a small beard at that point. Um, so I was a little Genetic bit more freak. mature for my, yeah, I was a little bit more mature for my, yeah, it's probably just the Italian side of me, but I was a little bit more mature for my age. And so, uh, it was just the right decision. I, I wasn't ready mentally to leave home. We didn't have, like you said, we didn't have an established major program. I had gotten, um, offers to go to different major programs, one in Cleveland, one in Detroit, um, I think a couple others that my dad probably didn't even tell me about cause he didn't want me to go there. But, um, it was, it, it just felt like in my eyes, it was the right decision. And I, I really do think it worked out for the best. And, uh, the empire league is no longer around. So I still hold the scoring record because it's no longer around, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but no, it was, um, it was a year that I'll never forget. And it was one of the most fun years of hockey ever. And I think it wasn't only just playing with older kids. I think we had just all around a great group of guys, um, a great group of parents too. My dad had a great time and that made it even more enjoyable for my family and I. And um, this entire journey has been, uh, it hasn't just been my own, it's been my entire family. And um, I'm kind of getting off topic here, but um, it, it just depends on what the right fit is. And junior hockey in my eyes, play junior Bs with kids that were, against kids that were 18, 19, 20 years old was, I, I believe, in my eyes, the right decision for me. Yeah, it makes sense. And that's something we've talked about on the podcast with a lot of different people is like trying to balance, you know, there's kind of the one side where a lot of people say, you know, dominate your level before you go on to the next one and kind of stay with your age group. But then there's another side to it that's like, hey, but if you're not being challenged, um, how are you going to get any better? So yeah, it's uh, it just it's more more info that that goes along with the fact that hey, like there's different paths for everybody, and there's not one path that no. everybody should take. So the path that you took is different than the path that I took. It's different than the path that Jeff took, and um, it's just whatever fits for you. You know your body best, and and your parents know who you are on and off the ice and your maturity level. So just kind of going along from there. Yeah, and it, I mean it is an, every level that you go up will have an adjustment period. I had an adjustment period. I had 10 points in my first 10 games of juniors. We played 40 games that year. My next 30 games, I had 91 points. So the, the difference between those first 10 games and the last 30 games was enormous. Um, but at the same time, it, it is an adjustment period. I know the numbers are might be higher than the average kid playing hockey and stuff. I'm not coming on here to brag or, or anything like that. I'm trying to kind to show uh, a true example of kind of an adaptation that I had to have. I had to change my game a little bit. I had to um, try to get some confidence back because it was frustrating the first 10 games because I was coming from uh, youth hockey where um, if you were the best player on your team, you'd be having three or four points a game pretty much. You, your numbers are crazy high, and stuff, especially if you weren't playing against the best teams, I guess. And uh, at your age group. So I was challenged those first 10 games. And um, it, it, I think that uh, Scott Matata did a, a really good thing with me that he really continued to try to build my confidence. And that's why it took off. And he didn't, he didn't get, on my, uh, get on my butt every time I um, made a mistake or anything like that. He really allowed me to play and, and tried to help me um, play as confidently as possible. And at times even try to push me to dominate games. 
That's great. I mean, first of all, I want to say congratulations on catching yourself and not saying ass and saying butt. Uh, <laughs> I just I just said it, but good job uh, by you not saying that. Um, and second of all, you know, you said your coach helped you w- with confidence, something that we talk to everyone and you, you hit on it right away. Like there's going to be a, a period as you go up in levels that you need to learn and adapt to whatever's going on, the speed, the skill, the strength, the thinking, the game, whatever it may be. Can you give us like some concrete examples of what you did differently uh, after that te- first 10 games or, or as you were kind of, I mean, you still had points, but maybe struggling to be as successful as you wanted to be, what did you do to keep your confidence up through those hard times? Well, honestly, I, I just tried to play with, with the puck as much as possible. The second, the, I, I guess the, the last 30 games of the season, I think the first 10 games I was playing a little timid. Uh, I was playing against older guys. So um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was kind of introduced to that uh, physical aspect and, um, I think I, I do play my best hockey when I'm playing with the puck, when I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be the one to make the plays and I'm being involved in the play and stuff. And the first 10 games, I would do it uh, on a very inconsistent level, you can say. Um, I think that was probably the biggest difference is not playing timid, playing with the puck, playing confident. And it, it, it just kind of, I, I guess it kind of just clicked. Um, and sometimes it sometimes it's just clicks and sometimes it takes a little bit longer and uh, I guess I was lucky enough to have it just click. Yeah. Well another instance of, of that kind of happening for you was was going to the national team development program. Um, and your birth year, I, I loved watching you guys play. It was one of the first years that uh, that I was as a coach uh, at Cornell in recruiting. Um, but it's a lot tougher in their first year than it is in your second year. And I know just from talking to some people that even your role on the team was a little bit different from year one to year two. So if you can, just kind of talk to us a little bit about your experience going through those kind of ups and downs from year one to year two um, at the national program and kind of what you learned about yourself and what you learned about your game going through that. Well, first and foremost, I learned that homesickness is an actual thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was, I'm, I'm the oldest of my family, um, very tight knit family. Uh, Topher, you probably know that. Uh, it, 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 it was very tough for me to move away from home and uh, live with a family I didn't, I didn't know at all. Um, be around teammates, I didn't really know. I played against a little bit, but I didn't truly know who they were and uh, as a person, as a player and stuff. And, um, I learned to understand different people and learned to handle different personalities. Um, and off the ice, that was something that uh, I definitely grew. And then um, uh, on the ice, I started uh, as a fourth line center role. I came in, I played center all the way growing up. Um, I played wing during tryouts actually with Eichel. And he had a, he had already committed before the trial started and a couple other guys like Larkin and stuff like that. And they don't do that anymore, but, um, they did like an early commitment thing. And so I was playing with Eichel and I came in to the, uh, right before they had offered me a spot on the team. Um, my coach said that, uh, he thought I was a winger coming in. He had no idea that I was a center. Um, and so that was something that always kind of stuck in the back of my head that I had actually done a good job at wing too. And I thought that that would just increase my value, um, my, um, my valuability to the team. If that's a word, um, <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Is it, is it a word? Is it? 
Sure, go with it. We know what you meant. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. Uh, increase my value to the team. And um, so my, my first year was kind of a struggle. I uh, played in the fourth line. Uh, I guess you could say we had equal minutes, but I wasn't in the power play. I wasn't in the penalty kill. I actually, I think that I did play penalty kill. I think it's the last year of my hockey <laughs> that I actually was on the penalty, <laughs> penalty kill. Hopefully this year's different. Hopefully this year's different. I'll play a little penalty kill, but um, uh, no, and it was it was myself, Joe Wagworth, and Jared Siegel. We had an average of uh, 220 pounds and an average of six three. We were big, we were strong, physical, and uh, that's the style of hockey they wanted us to play. And uh, at the international level, we we did really well. At the USHL level, we we struggled severely, and so that was um, something that. Uh, I always had in the back of my mind where um, I needed to push myself and um, and try to play out of my comfort zone. And um, I had worked on skills more. And my team as a whole struggled that first year. We, I think we might have had the worst uh, record ever for the NTDP in the USHL. I think we had two wins. And one was in regulation, one was in a shootout. Uh, the first and last game of the season, actually. But my second year, I came in. I had a really good off season. I worked really hard. And same thing started third, fourth line center. Um, and then one game I played with. Uh, I think there was coach. Uh, there was an injury. The coach wanted to mix up uh, our top line, and uh, I came in against the Muskegon Lumberjacks and played with Michael Milano, and I played right wing. I had um, I had uh, five points that game, and they each had four, <laughs> and uh, we didn't get moved after that. That's um, unreal, man. Well, it let me was let a me, really good season. Yeah, let Go me ahead. let me let me interrupt you there because I remember watching you guys play as a line be- between Eichel and and Milano, and uh, you guys were I mean it like wasn't even fair when you guys were on the ice. It was unreal. So I wanted to ask you about that because you know Jack Eichel and Sonny Milano are two guys that love to have the puck. And you're a guy that, um, you, I mean, you love to have the puck too, but maybe not as much as those two guys. Um, what, like, what was it like? And did you have to adapt your game a little bit to play with those two guys? Cause I would imagine there are some kids or even some older people that are, are listening to the podcast right now that, you know, like yeah. in order to play on a top line like that, they might have to change a little bit and, and acquiesce the puck and maybe do some things like get into the net and grind a little bit in the corner so you can get those guys the puck. Um, what was it like playing with those two guys and, and how did did you kind of have to adapt your game to it? So first of all, if Jack or Sonny ever listened to this podcast, I hope I would laugh at the next thing I'd say. <laughs> um, but I would, there was times during that year I'd sit on the bench right in between the two of them. And I was like the mediator because they would yell at each other <laughs> about not passing to one another. And I sit there and be like, hey, guys, you know, I, I, you can pass me the puck, too, if you want. If not, no big deal. I'll just get you guys the puck kind of thing. Like, I was in a joking, in a joking way. But um, that kind of uh, started my uh, career as a uh, top six power forward uh, right winger who uh, went to the dirty areas, who went to the front of the net, who played kind of a support role with – um, some very skilled players. Um, it was a good skating power forward. I wasn't as fast as Jack. I wasn't as skilled as Sonny. Um, 
I might have had a little bit better shot, so I knew how to get to that soft area because uh, I knew that if I was and they, they'd beaten a guy, they would be able to find me because they both did have good vision. But it really showed me that um, it really helped me learn how to play away from the puck, I guess you can say. Um, and it, it, we did have a lot of fun. And another thing about our line was I went into the NHL combine, which you'll probably ask me about. And um, one of the questions I was asked was, how can you play? How can you play a minute and a half shifts? You Sonny and Jack, like, do you think you're going to be able to do that at the NHL level? And my answer was, was, um, I guess very truthful when I said, first of all, um, I played a minute of shifts. Those guys played a minute and a half. <laughs> in a joking way. <laughs> I said, first of all, I was always the first one off the ice. Second of all, when you, when you played with the puck as much as we did, it's not even close to as tiring as if you're playing in the defensive zone. So we were able to extend our shifts a lot longer than I think at the time, any other line at our age in the world, because we always had the puck. We, um, I think uh, Ryan Collins um, said it best. And he was a defenseman on our team. He goes, Tucky, I would hate to play against your line. You guys, caused so many turnovers because you guys hate not having the puck. We were so good at causing turnovers, so tenacious on the four track. I was our key F1. They were really good at F2 and F3 at reading where the puck, where I was trying to force the puck. We caused the turnover, possess the puck, and then go from there and be able to have a lot of in-zone time, a lot of time with the puck. And that was where our game was established. It wasn't like we were an amazing off the rush, one and done type of line we were guys that knew how to play with the puck knew how to protect the puck um knew how to m- make plays in tight i mean we did have the occasional off the rush play but um we were very good at, at creating lanes making lanes and uh, creating openings around the net and i think that's where our success really happened that's awesome. I, I like I like something you said there because we have a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast, um, new coaches, old coaches, whatever. But for the the newer coaches that are playing higher levels, teaching your guys to forecheck, Tucky just said that as he was F one, he's forcing a guy to the way that he wants to go. Force that guy he's forechecking wherever way he wants to go. He knew his second layers were already like going to where he's forcing them to. I feel like when I was younger and we were getting taught four checks, it was like, all right, if you're doing a one, two, two, like you go straight at them and the other two guys just go here. Whereas like, if you work on teaching your players to play chess and not checkers and think a step ahead, instead of going straight on that D man, tell your players to force them to one side, like take away one side, force them, push them over to one side of the ice because then your F2 and F3 can read that and they'll be there. And that D man is going to have to move it, put it up the boards or whatever. And your guys can anticipate that. So for the younger coaches, that's kind of just a teaching point, but something to think about. Yeah. It's more of trying to make the other team react to you rather than reacting to the other team. Yeah. That's a big thing. And that's, that's how to control hockey games. And, um, I think, uh, my team now, the golden Knights, uh, do a very good job forechecking and playing that fast paced game and making other teams try to play to our speed, to our, to our game rather than playing into another team's hand. And, um, that's a, I guess that's the type of hockey we want to play is we want to forecheck hard. We want to cause turnovers. 
Um, but we want, we don't want to, we don't want, we, we don't take those risks and um, play risky in the same way where we, we don't want to have a back and forth game. We want to possess the puck as much as possible. And um, I really think that's why a lot of general managers and uh, head coaches in today's NHL are looking at Corsi a lot more seriously than they have in the past. And this whole new thing about puck possession and uh, time in each zone is honestly being evaluated at uh, even the college level now and seeing how much a, uh, a team and a player plays with the puck, how much they have to, um, how much they want to have the puck back. And I, I think that really goes into a team's success. Um, obviously the numbers aren't always, don't always match up perfectly, but the majority of the time, the player that has a better course, he has a better chance of uh, producing. Um, it, it really goes to show, I mean, the, your, your shot percent might not be the best at, at times, but I think teams are kind of getting away from that because if you're creating more chances, it's, your shot percentage might not be the best, but your line may, might have a second opportunity and stuff. And it just kind of, it's a, kind of like a ripple effect. So going forward, I mean, you want to try to play with as much possession as possible. And you want to, it's really like, uh, I've noticed more and more over the past five years that teams are really looking into coursing more and more. And it's even getting into the media now. I know uh, Jonathan Marsh so I think our first year was called like the Corsi God, I guess, because he had an <laughs> unbelievable Corsi because he would shoot the puck from everywhere. Can that be a little construed? Yes, but he was putting himself in a position to be able to shoot the puck. He was able to uh, control the puck more and be more in the offensive zone as well. And that led to his, uh, his, line, uh, his line success in the first year where they absolutely took off. Well, let me ask you this. Like, players obviously are way smarter in today's game as far as they know it's a business. They know that they have you know, a limited window, whether that's one year, five years, 10 years, whatever, 20 years, uh, the longer, the better for their career. They need to make as much money as they can. It is a business to players. They're like, you ever think about that? Like, Hey, if I hold on to the puck a little bit longer, every game, my course, goes up. Maybe I make more money. Is that something that ever goes through anybody's head? Do you think? I, I don't think, I don't think it's, uh, I don't, I don't think that they're really thinking about Corsi during the game and stuff like that. I mean, like but, going into it, you're not obviously thinking it as you skate in the zone. Oh, I'll hold yeah. on this three seconds later. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, but no, my, my dad is actually like a, uh, a stats wizard. Like he loves looking at different stats and he, he got a little bit in the Corsi. So he would always, um, talk to me about it. And it wasn't like he was saying, Oh, you need to get your Corsi. He was saying, Hey, you need to possess the puck more. Hey, you need to shoot the puck on net more. Uh, hey, you need to play better defense. Because um, Corsi is an all-around stat. It's not only how many shots you're taking, it's how many shots you're giving up. So it, it goes both ways. It, 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 it makes sure you're playing that 200-foot game. Um, because if you're not, your team has a less of a chance of success. Totally makes sense. For sure. Puck possession is an offensive thing, but what people don't understand a lot of the times is it's also a defensive thing. If you have the puck, the other team can't score. Right? That was, and that was one thing yeah. that we always talked about at Cornell. Everybody talked about us being such a defensive team and all that kind of stuff. But it was like, yeah, but that's because we have the puck. 
<laughs> we we play in the offensive zone a lot, and um, it was something that we had to you know talk about with our players and talk about with our recruits all the time. And um, it is puck possession goes both ways for sure, and it's interesting to to certainly hear your take on on that at at your level too. Um, but I'm gonna throw a jab at you now, Tucky. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to throw a jab because I just mentioned Cornell. And uh, I remember a kid, 15, 16-year-old kid coming in, unbelievable grades, like valedictorian type, you know, grades at his school, coming in to line a rank and having a great time. And and that kid ended up going to BC. Um, So I don't know if you're familiar with that situation. But, uh, yeah, screw you, number one. Um, and number two, I actually wanted to ask you, uh, obviously we've joked about this in the past and stuff. And, uh, uh, I did want to ask you about going to BC and, and what it was like to play there for Jerry York. You know, you want to be in pot championship scoring the OT winner and stuff. Uh, what was your experience like in college hockey and, and how do you feel like, uh, it prepared you for, for the next level? Well, first of all, I think the reason why I didn't go to Cornell was because the guy that was bringing me around this tour was a little... I, I really just didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you know, you were looking down on him too much. You're like, there's no way. This guy's got to be the stick boy. There's no way he's actually a coach. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so I just had to throw a jab back at you there, Tove. But, um, no, I mean, I, I it was, I mean, I, I, I loved uh, being off of Black Cornell and, it was, um, it was very humbling. It was, it was, I thought it was a great opportunity and stuff. Um, it was a very hard decision and it was an even harder phone call to make. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm very happy that it was no hard feelings. You still let me come down and stay for the back arrival game. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, my time at Boston college was, um, phenomenal. Uh, I enjoyed every second of it. The school was, uh, very difficult to say the least. Um, it was it's a prestigious school. I tried to be in the finance school, didn't work out too long. Uh, I ended up moving to communications and with a minor in marketing, and I'm still uh, attempting to get my degree there. Oh, nice. uh, I think twelve classes, twelve classes away. It's uh, it's a struggle though. I really is a struggle. <laughs> but um, I mean, on the hockey side of it, I mean, uh, the opportunity to be coached by Jerry York was one that was very hard to pass up. I had seen what he'd done with teams in the past. I had seen what he'd done with players in the past, and the players that they were producing in the NHL really just stood out to me. And it was um, uh, it was pretty easy for him to sit down and be like, "Well, we had this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy in the past five years. <laughs> Would you like to come here?" <laughs> um, so, I mean, it wasn't. I, I can't say it was a no a no brainer because I. I was approached by many schools and they were unbelievable schools with good hockey programs. And I carefully, um, carefully thought through every decision. And, um, but I don't regret my decision to commit to Boston college. No offense, Dilfer. That's okay. Um, it's all right. It could, I bet I would say the same thing if I, if I had chosen Cornell too. Well, but, dude, um, I, I did I team building. I did team building at BC last year. And I remember like walking down the hallway to Jerry's office and just like looking at all the plaques on the wall of like all the all Americans uh, and all the incredible. NHLers. And I was like, okay, hall of famer, hall of famer, hall of famer, Kobe <laughs> <laughs> Baker, Kobe Baker. And I'm like, Oh God, yep, how did yep. I ever compete well, Brian with this? Just got, yeah. Brian Gianta just got, uh, back to the USA hall, hockey hall of fame. Congrats to him. That was awesome. He's a former BC Eagle and, um, it was just, it was unbelievable. And it was the, um, 
Uh, I'm trying to think of a word now, but uh, the culture that yeah. they had um, was unbelievable. I mean, uh, they produced not only great hockey players, but great people. It was, there's got the support system that we had. The, um, the team that we had was a group of individuals that truly wanted to win and truly wanted to become better as a, as a team. Um, I know guys leave early. A lot of guys on my team had left early and stuff, but it wasn't because we didn't like Boston college. It wasn't because we didn't like the coach or anything like that. It was because we, we just felt like it was necessary to take our next step in our hockey, um, in our, in our hockey career. But, um, being able to play for a coach, um, that had so, so much success and knew so much about the game, uh, really helped me. Uh, and not only that, but he had two great assistant coaches, um, between Greg Brown and Mike Dares. And, um, I mean, that was just, that, that was a, a, a coaching staff that um, had really allowed me to elevate my game to the next level and uh, allow, allowed it to be easier to take that next step into the pro hockey. That's awesome, man. And how was that? Uh, you know, you were drafted in the first round by the Minnesota Wild, and uh, you spent your first year pro hockey um, in the AHL as a first rounder, uh, and then you know got your chance kind of the next year um, as a full time NHLer. What was that transition like for you? Um, you know, you left left school early. Uh, you spent your first year in the AHL. Um, was that kind of like a humbling experience, or was that something kind of to be expected? Um, talk us talk uh, us through kind of your mindset as you yeah, I, went from I mean, college to pro. Yeah, Minnesota had a very solid team. They had a deep team. They were pretty much set in a lineup. If I wanted to make the team right out of camp, I would have had to do something unbelievable. And they were very, very impressed with me and stuff. But it wasn't it, it, it wasn't enough to send a, a one-way NHL or down. It was, you know, they wanted me to try to develop my game down in the minor leagues. And honestly, I wouldn't be where I am today if I had just made the jumps in the NHL because I I learned a lot in that year, made a lot of friends. Um, but the hockey was a lot different than in college. It was faster. It was more physical. There was guys that had a lot more skill. I was playing against guys um, and playing with guys that were put um, up in their high thirties and age. And uh, it was a lot different, but I, I in, in that time that I was there, I had learned to be a pro. Honestly, I was lucky enough to room with um, Jeff Hogan, uh, who was uh, old enough to be my dad at the time. He was actually <laughs> I played with him too. To my dad. He was yeah. actually closer in age to my dad than he was to me. When my dad was in town, they'd go for drinks. Like it was, it was, it was that big of an age difference. But the, what I learned from him, I will never forget. That is so awesome. Yeah, when I when I signed and came out of college, I played for Providence in the American League, and and he was the captain there. And what a guy, man! Like I remember, I was telling the story to somebody the other day. I was doing my warm up, my pregame warm up after like my second game, or going into my second game, and he came over to me. You know, college warm up, you only play 34, 35 games in college, so I'm warming up for like forty five minutes. I'm running sprints down in the tunnel, and Hoagie comes out to me. He's like, "Hey." you could not do that for 80 games. You're going to have to learn a new warm up. And I was like, Oh, oh okay, sir. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, um, but let's talk about Hoagie for a second. He was in the best physical condition out of any of us. Savage. He, he is 
he had like an eight pack, like was shredded, like was in the, like obviously his body was a little worn down, but he was in like unbelievable physical conditioning. And he was 38 years old, and I'm a 20 year old kid who's supposed to have all the energy in the world. And I'm looking over at him, and he's like coming to the rank like two hours early, leaving an hour later than everyone else. And I'm just like, holy crap! That's how you become the best hockey player you can be. That's how you become the best pro hockey player you can be. And so that was something that he didn't even have to say anything to me. I just watched him in awe. And yeah, he had his injuries like everybody else did, and he was a little older, so he might have had to take off a few more practices than everyone else, but he was a leader through and through, and he he really showed everyone on my team how to come in every day and be the best player and person that you could be. Um, my team didn't have that much success, but we all we all looked up to guys like him. Um, Mike Weber was another one. Um, and guys like that, that really you couldn't, you, you didn't want to look past. You didn't want to be like, oh, he's a vet. Oh, he, yeah, well, I'll, I'll get there someday. You wanted to look at him and be like, I want to be like him now. I want to do what he does now. I want to create those habits now. And um, not everyone not everyone does that. And that's something that I really took upon myself to, to do. You're a smart guy, man. I mean, I, I tell all the kids that I train, I have a training company here in St. Louis and I tell all these kids like, yeah, of course, it's easy to look up to Patrick Kane and to, to Connor McDavid and guys who've always been that number one guy their whole life. But if you look at a guy like Jeff Hogan or, you know, even you, you had to play a whole year in the American League, like you had to grind a little, you had to battle, you had to change positions in juniors, like you can learn so much more about the little details that will make you a better player in person from those guys than you can from the guys. Of course, I mean, I've heard Patrick Kane works his ass off, doesn't take days off in the summer. Like he's an absolute savage, but like, he's also so gifted that even if he didn't do that, he'd still be a very, very good hockey player. Whereas maybe a Jeff Hogan would never have been able to play for, you know, the guy played for like 60 years, but you know, <laughs> like, like he wouldn't have been able to do that if he didn't take such good care of himself and learn and care and constantly be growing. No. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, um, that, I mean, that not everyone in the NHL has is the perfect pro. That's not true. Some of the best players in the league still don't have the best habits, but they're so gifted it works. But the top, top players in the league, Sidney Crosby, the Conor Davids, Patrick Kings, they have work ethic that you couldn't even dream of. Like I did a, I, I did a, I did the Daryl Belfry, uh, 88 summit, Kane Matthews camp. I, I don't even know exactly what the name is, by the way. It's very confusing, <laughs> but let me tell you, it, like seeing some of these guys, their work ethics, what they do away from the ice, how long they stay on the ice afterwards, that's not only true will and determination, but that's true love for the game. Because they, they, they love being on the ice. They love fine-tuning their skills. They were also like Matthews is one of the most skilled hockey players I've ever been on the ice with. He is an unbelievable player. In what way? Like he, what, what blew you away by him from him? Every single <laughs> hand, his ability to maneuver himself and put himself in great like position, his ability to exploit a goaltender was unheard of. 
unheard of. Just move like his hand movement while he shot. Like the goalie has no idea what he is. You got to get lucky. When when Austin Matthews shoots on you, you got to get lucky. Or yeah, lucky in the way that your defenseman makes him like makes him uncomfortable when he's shooting lucky, or just guess where he's going to shoot kind of thing. Because that's how good like his shot, his ability to exploit a goalie, a defender, anyone is. His hands are, it looks like the, the puck is stuck to his stick. Like, I don't understand it. I still think he puts glue on it, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, it, was, it, 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 it is just unbelievable. But he's out there all the time. But I was going to say that there was a, he was having like an off day. No one's perfect. He was having an off day during the camp. Puck wasn't bouncing his way. He was so frustrated with himself. He was like banged his stick once, and that's not a good example. Like everyone has a little bit of a blow up, whatever. Like he was just so upset with himself. I think he stayed on the ice afterwards for like an hour and fifteen minutes after we were all done. Like after Daryl Buffer was like, "All right, we're done." Like he was so aggravated that he wasn't having a good day that he just went out there and worked even harder, and then he went in the gym afterwards too. That's really there's cool. a reason. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, I'll go to the coaching side of it when it comes to that. Like I have to imagine, like I've had the chance to speak with Daryl a few times and, and pick his brain and, and Adam Nicholas, who was down there, we've had him on the podcast a couple times too. So I have to imagine that a little bit big of cat. that was uh, yeah, the big cat. Exactly. <laughs> um, I have to imagine a little bit of that was, was Daryl and Adam and his staff, like pushing you guys outside of your comfort zone majorly. And, and forcing you guys to fail um, at certain skills and putting you guys in situations that were going to be really tough. Um, would you say that that was a part also of, uh, you know, him maybe having a bad day? And did you find yourself being put in those situations as well at that summit? Yeah, no, 100%. There was, uh, there was a couple times when, um, well, first, when I looked at the roster, I go, um, other like the first like Ross was sent out. I think that was the biggest guy by like four inches. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that's not hundred percent true, but it was, um, it was interesting. Cause like all these guys were, uh, you had like Barzell, you had Kane, you had to bring uh, I know Matthews is big, but he's, he's a very skilled uh, player and stuff. And uh, some of the drills that we were doing were kind of things that they were already good at at times. And, I wasn't, but like being a big, strong power forward, I felt a little bit out of my comfort zone with some of these uh, drills where we were like kind of turning up and stuff like this. But after the first couple of days, I kind of realized that um, like this wasn't, I wasn't going to be doing this every time I had the puck. I wasn't going to turn up or cut to the middle every time I had the puck, but it was, it was a skill that allows me to create space on the outside of the offensive zone that then allows me to get to the inside at an easier path, I guess you can say. It's kind of hard to um, that makes sense, explain, yeah. but yeah, being able to um, exploit a defense and uh, a defenseman like away from the net to allow you to beat him to get into those tighter areas where that's where my game is, kind of thing. I think um, was really something that I, I took away from it, but it, it was difficult at times. I wasn't used to some of the things that we were doing. I wasn't used to doing drills where uh, we come down, we make moves to the outside, cut down, come back to the inside. And it was also um, drills that just made everyone uncomfortable and kind of challenge you because 
Uh, we did a lot of four-on-five, three-on-four drills where our main focus was trying to uh, create opportunity when at a, a man disadvantage. And that was something that I found very unique and um, very, I guess, uh, very good. Um, it's, a, it's an elite skill to be able to create space, even though you're on man down and kind of, you don't have to beat two guys, but if you're able to bring two guys away from the other two guys, it creates them with a better opportunity to have a two on two. Then they make that two on two into a two on one and try to isolate one defenseman. And then it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's an individual skill, but you're put in both situations during that, that drill. You might be the one that's trying to take two guys out and make a class and kind of take two guys with you. And then, you might be in the other position where you, your line mate or teammate does that, and then you're on the two-on-two, and then you're isolating the defenseman. And it, it's really just kind of like a, a ripple effect of, okay, so we worked on skills that allow you to, I guess, um, isolate defensemen. We, we did drills that would um, allow you to bring two defenders close to you or, uh, and then move the puck. So it was a lot of uh, attack mentality, a lot of different things like that, that really opened my eyes to a whole nother skill, a whole nother level of hockey. instead of just skating really fast towards the net. That's so cool. Uh, you know, it's just like next level thinking. It's, it's almost like a lot of what you're talking about, at least in this stuff is like, it's not really like skill. It's like ways of thinking the game differently. Um, you know, I, I talk to my team, like I always, we always try and bring it back to the to help our listeners. And like, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are coaches and I'm sure at least when I was younger, when you were younger, Tof was younger, even now, like you do a two on two drill and I coach 16 year olds right now. And, and the first couple of times they'll just go straight down and it kind of make it like a one-on-one with both guys. And the same idea, I'll be like, Hey, like if you try and create space like one guy slash bring both d-man over the other guy cut behind him like try and make it two guys draw to one and then another guy is open like it's the same thing like don't just play one-on-one all the time try and draw another guy to you it makes me think about um i heard the story uh zach parisi when he was playing midget major uh my old team i wasn't on the team at the time they had a guy shadow him which is hilarious youth hockey wasting a, a game like that for a kid making him shadow the best player in the nation but anyways so they had this guy shadow parisi well parisi's so smart and he was 17 at the time and he decided to then shadow another player on their team so he took out two of their guys by shadowing another guy while one other guy shadowed him and drew stafford was telling me this when we were like 18 and i was like i literally would not think of that in a million years like holy crap is that next level thinking it's just so cool like i love that learning those new ways all right, I bet his coach didn't even tell him to do it, but he just did it on his own. Yeah, Stafford told me. He's like, yeah, yeah. He just he just started doing it on his own. Like, he was that <laughs> smart. And at 18, we're talking about this, and I'm like, wow, that is – I suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. That must have been such a cool uh, such a cool time being down there and being around all those guys with, with that summit. Um, but we've had you on here for quite some time here, Al. But the last thing I wanted to ask you before we let you go is you play for Vegas right now, um, and, you know, I, I would be re- remiss if I – I didn't ask you about uh, you know the first year that you guys were there and the run that you went to the Stanley Cup final as an expansion team which is just I mean it's unheard of and uh, you know Will Nickel 
who I'm sure you know, he's a guy that coached me in junior. He's one of my mentors and one of the best guys in the mm-hmm. business. I remember kind of asking him, I just kind of like asked him why. I was like, why, how did you guys do it? Like, what was it about your guys' organization that allowed you guys to have so much success? And he said, it's pretty easy. Like, nobody has an ego here. Like, it's everybody's pulling on the same rope. And everybody has one goal in mind. And in pro hockey, that's pretty rare. You know, like there are people that are trying to get their way to the top and they'll kind of do what they have to do to get there. And sometimes it's not the most ethical thing or whatever. And he's just kind of like, you know, everybody's pulling the same rope here. Um, so I wanted to kind of ask you about your guys' culture and, uh, you know, what makes you guys so successful? Because that run that you guys went on, I mean, that's never going to be replicated ever. So uh, just talk to us a little bit about Vegas. Well, I mean... First of all, off this, we had an unbelievable uh, veteran group. Uh, Flurry, England, uh, Neil, Ron, both who aren't with us, uh, Riley Smith. I mean, Lucas Spiza, uh, who isn't with us anymore either. But um, if you notice, we didn't have a captain. We had a group of assistant or alternate captains, I guess you can call them. Um, and we had three on the road, three at home. And I think at one point in time, like, uh, we had like eight or nine cause guys would get hurt. Like it was, it was incredible. I mean, when, when almost half your team wears an A on your Jersey, that just shows you how many leaders we had in the locker room and being a rookie, I think I was the luckiest guy in the world to be able to be around those guys who were such unbelievable, um, players, but also teammates and leaders was just phenomenal for for me personally. And I I really think that was a a huge key to our success off the ice was like, I could, I could go to dinner with anyone on the team and it it wouldn't, it it was, it was, it was easy. It was easy on it. It wasn't like we had clicks. It wasn't like we had um, different groups that always went to dinner with each other. I think maybe the Frenchies, a little bit, but uh, they're a, they're a different breed of in their course. own. But uh, uh, they don't count. That's excluding. That's excluding. That's excluding Flurry. He's the most <laughs> normal French person I've ever met in my entire life. Um, nicest person I've ever met in my entire life too. But um, uh, even though he does like like pranks, but it's in good heart. And so, um, I, and and then on the ice, I, I I I've explained this a couple of times in previous interviews where I, I always say that each one of us had a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, whether we were part of the expansion draft, whether we were traded during the expansion draft, whether we were a free agent, each and every guy had been given up by a prior team. Everybody, our entire locker room through and through our GM coach, everyone besides our owner. That's where the team, but even our owners, I was that right off the bat. He wanted us to have that. And he brought that mentality. And he was, unbelievable he wasn't the smartest hockey guy by any means he was there every day learning and that was really cool to see he comes down and eats breakfast with us i can't say that i don't i haven't heard that about many owners if any owners would come down sit down you can, you can have a regular conversation with not even about hockey or about hockey 100 percent. and he sit there and he wants to learn and that was kind of a mentality that he brought in. Um, going back to the hockey is uh, with a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. So all these teams that uh, had given up our previous players, um, 
we played against. We played against them all. And so each game that we played against that had a, uh, one of our guys in the prior year, we wanted to beat that team even more. Not cool. just because they left them, but we wanted to beat them for that guy because that guy wanted to beat their former team because cool. they had left him unprotected or they had not signed him after that year. So that was something that we really, I, I think that really helped our successes. We really, we truly wanted to beat the opposing team. We didn't want to just win the hockey. We wanted to beat that other team on the ice. That's really that's cool. Very, uh, that's so cool. Man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then and with we'll, that being said, is actually we, myself and Eric Haller were very unlucky, and we went I think zero and two or zero and three against the Wild that first. Game. <laughs> <laughs> we were the only team. I think we were. Uh, I think maybe one other team, but I think we were like we might have been the only team <laughs> that was the only team we beat that year. That's all right. We well, beat last year. They're they're in a little turmoil right now, so I think you're you're laughing, but <laughs> um, but but also like what was it like playing in the freaking Stanley Cup Finals as an expansion team in Vegas as a rookie um, and as the quote unquote mayor you know of of Vegas. Um, so like, <laughs> I knew what, you were say about that. <laughs> uh, what was that like? That had to have been so cool, man. I it's it, that might be the hardest thing to describe of all time because that was one of the most fun, exciting, disappointing experiences of my entire life. I, um, I went through that year playing game by game, not knowing if I was going to be sent down the next day. And, um, that's what you do on your entry level contract. especially your first full year in the NHL you had no idea if you were going to be off with the team the next day. So I went in there and tried to work my hardest every day. And to, to see what we were able to accomplish as a team, I, I wasn't able to really kind of soak it in until we almost started the playoffs. I was like, holy crap, I played pretty much a full year. I missed the first four games. I played every game after that. And then we started playing the playoffs, and I was like, I'm playing in the Seneca playoffs. And then we swept LA, and I was like, holy crap, we went to uh, uh, San Jose. We beat them in six games. And I'm like, oh, my God, we won again. We go into Winnipeg. We lose our first game. I'm like, oh, my God, is this it? I think our whole team was like, oh, my God, is this it? Right after we lost that game. The next day, we came into practice. No one had that thought. Not a single one in the locker room had that thought. It was just kind of natural to us that year. So, um, I always have the saying, the three Fs, find it, fix it, forget about it. And that was kind of something that we went through the entire year is we, hit, we hated to lose one game. But the thing that we hated to lose more than just one game in a row was two games in a row. We absolutely hated it. And we very rarely did it. And that's where a lot of our success came in too. Um, and then we ended up going out against Winnipeg in Winnipeg or some game, beating him there, coming home, winning two more games, and then beating him on the road. So we went through and won four straight games against Winnipeg, who was an absolute powerhouse. Yeah. Who had defensemen averaging, I think their average defenseman height was like 6'2", 6'3". They were massive on the defensive end. They had three lines, they had four lines deep scoring. And then um, we went in against Washington, and it was just like, it was, that experience was incredible being able to play in the Stanley Cup final. The media, the 
the um, the the media attention, the um, I don't even know. It's so hard. It's so hard to explain that feeling that when you step on the ice, I was extremely nervous. And we went out and we won that first game, and we were like, "Oh my God, we need to win three more games. That's it to win the Stanley Cup." And obviously, we weren't able to win another one, and they came out and won the next four games. And um, but it was it was an incredible experience. It was unbelievable. Um, some of those games could have went either way. Obviously, game two definitely could have went another way with the hope you saved and all. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't really talk about that too much. But <laughs> I wasn't going to ask you. Ago, so it's not, a, it's not the biggest deal anymore. But um, I mean, yes, it was unbelievable saves. Yes, I probably could have listed it another quarter inch, but <laughs> it happened pretty fast. Hey, hey, find um, it, fix it, forget about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. But no, um, no. I mean, it was it, it, it was absolutely an incredible experience, and it was even that much more devastating because we had been through so much in the past. I'd say almost a year together between the expansion draft, coming in the training camp, and learning all these new faces. The only guy I, I, I kind of knew was Eric Hollow. And I had only played on the Minnesota Wild for six games. Like I met my um, my future roommate for a year and a half, Shea Theodore, um, at the hotel. They roomed us together, and I came back from rookie tournament. And I had I had met him as soon as I got back from rookie tournament at I think like one o'clock in the morning because we got back late. And it was just like those relationships, those. Um, experiences that we had in that entire year, something that I will never forget. Yeah, that's that's unreal, man. And uh, you know, we're we're certainly big fans of the Golden Knights here on this podcast. We actually had Staz on here uh, about a month or so ago, and uh, I actually coached Riley Smith uh, for a year when I was at Miami, so he's one of my favorites too. And uh, you know, Al, thank you so much for coming on, man. I mean, this was so great to hear your perspective on a lot of different things. Um, you certainly deserve all the success that you had. I know how much work you put in. Uh, I appreciate so much all the stuff that you do off the ice and in the community community here in our area um you've helped us out so much with our charity and raising money in Ithaca with my charity game and stuff too and I know you have um some stuff going on too do you want to actually plug what are some some things that you have going on away from the rink um that maybe we can plug here as well uh well um, nothing uh right now I mean uh one thing that happened this summer you probably saw on my Instagram was um uh my friend Tyler there, he, uh, I put up an Instagram picture, I think a little over a month ago. He, he was a junior hockey player, 20 years old, um, dove into a pool, uh, kind of like was just hanging out with buddies, uh, broke his neck and, uh, right now currently paralyzed from, uh, the waist down pretty much. Uh, so that's something that I was, uh, involved in a lot, trying to raise as much money as possible. They have a GoFundMe page out there. Um, so it's, I think the GoFundMe page is still in my Instagram bio. Um, other than that, I'm in the middle of starting my foundation as well. It's called the 89 foundation. So that's something that I'm going to be, uh, so I would hope everyone looks forward to in the future and stuff, but that'll be, um, my main focal point in that is, uh, special needs and children's cancer. 
Awesome, man. Well, yeah, if uh, we got thousands of listeners on here now, so for everybody, head over to Al's Instagram page if you want to support his cause for for his buddy. Um, that would be amazing. But man, you, you again, like I said, you deserve all the success that you get. We appreciate you for coming on here and and all the stuff that you do. Um, know you're going to have a monster year next year with uh, with the Golden Knights. Hopefully, you can be free from uh, some of Flurry's uh, pranks. I know those are epic and have been talked <laughs> about a lot. Um, but make sure he gets Staz for us uh, if you can. I don't know how well Staz would do with that but <laughs> oh, please get that please. You're, you're talking to a guy who's unless we bring up one of the younger guys it's gonna be the youngest one on the team for the third year in a row. <laughs> oh, you're done <laughs> do you think i try to prank anybody yes no. please get that no. he'll get so butthurt we got him no and i got can. pranked him and I got pranked so hard at juniors, and he was so butthurt. I love it. Please get oh, him. Oh, Flurry got me really good. And um, once he, we had a little bit of a, we had a little team trip, I guess, team building trip and stuff. And um, we had a couple of drinks. And at one point in the night, he had snuck off and got a key to my uh, my little room. We were at like some wild uh, lodge and stuff. Can't talk too much about it, but. He had put hot sauce in my toothbrush. <laughs> well, they, they, the, the, the couple of the vets had trashed my room, but I go in to brush my teeth, and I'm brushing my teeth, and I'm like, wow. And I don't like spicy foods. I'm like, why is my tongue stinging right now? And I'm like, did he, so, I'm like, someone salt this in Fireball? And I'm like, no, it must be hot sauce. And I was just like, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to finish brushing my teeth and go to bed. <laughs> I'll figure it out tomorrow. But and so that was that was one thing, and um, uh, he he'll never admit the uh, he'll never admit the other one. But he, our first year, he was he was injured and he wasn't on the road, and so I um, it was after practice. I think it was in Ottawa. I'm not positive, but I believe it was in Ottawa. I'm getting changed uh, into my suit. First thing I do is go to put on my underwear, and there's a whole there's a whole cutout in the uh, little uh, cross region. <laughs> a giant Ouch. hole. The, yeah. A giant hole in the front of my underwear is cut out. And then I'm, uh, so I start laughing. I go for my socks on and the toes are cut off. <laughs> and my toes are just hanging out. <laughs> and then I put my pants on, put my shirt on, and I go put my shoes on. I'm missing a shoelace. Just completely missing a shoelace. I'm like, okay, that's kind of mean. Like, I want to, I want to be able to tie my shoes. <laughs> and then I go to reach into my pocket to see if I have everything, and my left hand can't go in my pocket. <laughs> they sewed my left pocket shut. <laughs> that's so good. So my my theory, my uh, my conspiracy theory is that he actually called one of the uh, equipment um, crew managers and had. Uh, them do it all and he just gave him a list of stuff to do he'll never admit it still hasn't he admitted the hot uh the the hot sauce one i got him to admit that one but the other one he hasn't admitted to um because my teammates were going around and england was like well never in a million years guess who it is but i know who it is it's 100 percent had to be flower he's the only one that's clever enough to do it Oh, that's so good. Well, I guess we should wish you luck not only on the start of the season, but we'll wish you luck that you kind of steer clear of some of the pranks. Um, <laughs> that's but, all uh, good fun. I'm okay with it. 
I love it, man. Well, good stuff. We'll enjoy the Vegas, uh, the Vegas here for for a while. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, man. Take care.